Welcome to the Grace Story Podcast, where inspiring stories are brought to life. This podcast is made possible by Grace College and Seminary, located on the shores of Winona Lake in the great state of Indiana. I'm your host, Dr. Drew Flam. This is the Grace Story Podcast. Today, our guest on the podcast is none other than Dr. Don DeYoung. Dr. DeYoung is the former chairman of the Department of Science and Math at Grace College. He began his teaching career at Grace in 1972. And though he is now retired, he holds the distinct honor of being Emeritus Professor of Physics. He continues to do some teaching and also leads alumni trips to the Grand Canyon and other locations. Dr. DeYoung is also on the faculty of the Institute for Creation Research in San Diego. He speaks on creation topics and believes that the details of nature are a powerful testimony to the Creator's care for mankind. Dr. DeYoung has written many books on Bible science topics, including Object Lessons for Children. He's published multiple articles in the Journal of Chemical Physics and the Creation Research Society Quarterly. He has his PhD in physics and MDiv from Grace Seminary and has received awards for his work in leadership in the sciences. Dr. DeYoung and his wife Sally have three married daughters, and when not teaching or writing, he's trying to keep up with all his grandkids. Hmm. Dr. DeYoung, <laughs> welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Drew. And I, uh, I forgot to mention maybe the most important part of your bio is that you're my neighbor. And so you probably know more about me than uh, anyone. I'm afraid of what you see of me and my family out the out the front window sometimes. We're in the same neighborhood, correct? <laughs> well, my dad's going to be thrilled about having this conversation. He was a, a science teacher um, his whole career, took tours on the Grand Canyon. And um, I, I remember when I came to Grace uh, to work here, he didn't know much about Grace College, but he knew Dr. DeYoung worked here. Hmm. Um, so he'll be uh, thrilled to, I'm sure, listen to this podcast. Um, I'd love to go back to your early days. And how did you become interested in the sciences? What was the impetus for you to really engage in the world of of physics and in sciences, even at a young age? Well, Drew, I guess uh, during my high school years, I had some good teachers who uh, were excited about science and math and uh, was kind of contagious. And at the same time, um, they showed that there were a lot of opportunities in science and engineering. And really, a lot of my generation went into the sciences. There was a lot of world competition at that time for, for leadership. We were encouraged to go that way. So uh, it worked out for me. Hmm. And where did you do your, your undergraduate and your graduate work? And what did you study? Well, yeah, I was uh, one of six kids in our family. I'm the only one that went on to college. Uh, went to a community college for a couple of years so I could commute from home and work. And then I went off to uh, Michigan Tech, which is an engineering school in the far northern uh, Upper Peninsula. Uh, and then from there went out to Iowa. So kind of danced around the Midwest a little bit for school. And at Iowa State uh, is where you specifically went into physics, correct? Yes. I also had got a master's in, in physics back in, in Michigan as okay. well. And then to finish up with a, a doctorate uh, was Iowa State in Ames, Iowa. Yeah. I'm an Iowa Hawkeye fan, so I will. Uh, I won't go too deep into the Iowa State Cyclones. But uh, uh, how did you then hear about Grace College? H- how do you get from you know PhD physics from a 
wonderful institution, Iowa State, to Grace College in northern Indiana. Yeah, I didn't have a, a Christian school background at all, uh, but uh, in grad school I did some uh, uh, assistant teaching, and it went very well for me. So I got to thinking research or teaching, maybe teaching would be a good direction. And uh, Drew, it's kind of interesting. I can remember what happened one weekend uh, in grad school. Um, the speaker came to our local church, and a lot of us grad students went to hear him. And uh, this individual challenged us to consider a recent supernatural creation. Now, I was a believer by then already, but wasn't quite sure how to figure it all out. That was John Whitcomb, by the way, who's mm -hmm. the speaker who came to town. And I listened to him and thought, creation, isn't that something from 100 years ago? Who is this guy? But uh, the more I heard, and I've been considering ever since, it's so refreshing and makes good sense. So it was individuals, in that case, uh, Dr. Whitcomb, that had a real impact on me and kind of got me going in my direction. Wow. When you uh, so that that is that really the impetus as well for when you began um, exploring creation research? Uh, yes, I got more into that. Uh, I was already here at Grace and came up on my first sabbatical. I've always enjoyed uh, time away, and so I spent a year out in San Diego. The ICR, the Institute for Creation Research, was just getting fired up at that time, so I tied in with them for a year. And uh, they showed me um, how to research that area and speaking opportunities. So it kind of uh, happened during my first years here at Grace where creation kind of get, got ignited in my life. And uh, as if you didn't have enough um, initials after your name at that point, uh, you decided to also get an MDiv from Grace Seminary. What was the, the impetus to say, you know, PhD in physics, you know, not enough. I'll add these uh, these other letters after the name and, and really dive into scripture. Well, when I got to Grace, uh, I, I met the my seminary colleagues who were sharing the campus, and I realized uh, what a treasure we had right here. It was a resource that I could make use of. So I didn't come here for seminary. Uh, I, I'm not pastor material, but I just saw um, that whole area, and it was very intriguing to me. So I started taking courses two at a time. And uh, at that time, it was a traditional three-year MDiv program with uh, Greek and Hebrew and writing a thesis. And I spread that out over 10 years, kind of maybe set a record, but it was all uh, <laughs> just a great, a great trip. That's amazing. I just, when I think of trying to accomplish an MDiv, you know, while having a, a family, while t teaching full-time and doing research on the side, it, um, uh, Kudos to you for taking that on and, and being willing to deep dive into that. Um, one of the things that I, I've always found interesting about you is you've been able to engage folks at all different levels. So, you know, obviously highly accomplished in your field of physics and have done very in-depth research published in significant journals. And, and yet you, you know, you write kids books um, on uh, how they can explore the sciences as well. Tell us a little bit about that like ability and, and why such a diverse range of individuals that you try to speak to with your knowledge on science. I guess I've always enjoyed the challenge of taking difficult material like physics 
and putting it on the bottom shelf where it's understandable. Uh, Drew, I really uh, oppose the idea of big science words and wearing a white coat and talking complexity just impress people. I, I just I don't like that whole approach. As I think about it, um, uh, creation is for us. We know who put it together, and so it's for us to enjoy. So, yeah, I've liked that challenge of um, uh, not compromising, not slipping, but making things clear on, on a good level that we can all understand and enjoy. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are things that go with it. Uh, in a classroom, if, if all a person's doing is lecturing, that would bore myself. So, for instance, uh, in my classes, I always try to have objects around. Um, in fact, I have usually a basket on every desk. So the kids come into class, and I'll say, um, pick up the compass. Take a look at it. Why is it acting like it does? So that there's things to pick up and handle part of teaching as well. Hmm. Engaging all the senses. Exactly. What uh, One of the things I want to do is I want to get into a little bit of um, – your research and get into a little bit of your writing. And um, one of the things I'm interested in hearing about are some of your favorite trips that you've taken, uh, trips that you have gone and done some form of research. Uh, and there's many of them, I know, uh, but I'd love for you to, to highlight a couple trips that you have taken and what was enthralling or exciting about those trips for you? Okay, good question. <laughs> um, usually there are sabbatical trips when I can get away for a while. Uh, one that comes to mind, uh, my wife Sally and I, we, uh, we traveled up to the, the northeast to uh, New Hampshire and uh, uh, Maine, those areas. And there's interesting uh, locations up there. Um, there's um, the Bay of Fundy, which has the highest tides in the world. And I've always been interested in the moon and its origin and the tides. So uh, we went up, there to went up there to study that and take pictures and such. And uh, uh, that was very fascinating. Uh, there's even uh, what's called a, a bore where the water runs backward up the river. And uh, to see that after hearing about it and reading about it, was quite exciting. So just to document that in my mind and see what we've been talking about. So that was an interesting area, uh, the Bay of Fundy, looking at hmm. the, the, the tides. Uh, that, was a, that was a good getaway. Yeah. All right, give us one more trip, because I know, I know we, could, uh, we, could, we could play this game all day, but uh, give us one more trip that you Another really time, uh, another trip, <clears throat> we went far away. We went down to the South Pacific. In fact, we've been down there several times to a small island called Tonga. It's a kingdom. And uh, down there, I had opportunity to, to teach uh, those uh, Tongan people and just, um, you know, a, a, a straw-type uh, building, although there were lots of kids. And there I had to make do and, and try to teach science and use whatever was available, whether it was a feather that I would pick up or a chicken would walk through, or just making use of common everyday things that the kids could relate to. So that was a great experience. They even drafted my wife, Sally, to teach some English down there. <laughs> and so we met that whole corner of the world. And in fact, since then, we've had a few of those Tongan students come up to Grace to take oh, classes. Wow. So that was a great connection. That's awesome. Uh, I want to ask you about the moon because I love the moon too because it usually means I get to go to bed. Um, but you love the moon because um, it, it, of, of this for science purposes and for God's creation purposes. So why has the moon been a um, 
topic of interest for you and a uh, something you've written about and researched for decades? Yeah, I guess the moon catches my interest because it's really our nearest neighbor in the sky, and yet there's a lot we don't know about it, even where it came from, from a, a natural viewpoint. Uh, I've been in this business for a while and I've watched these origin theories roll on by. For the moon, we had the fission theory, the capture theory, the nebula theory. Every 10 years, there's a new origin theory. And uh, to me, uh, creation is supernatural, so we're not about to figure it out because it's beyond us. So there's our nearest neighbor, and it continues to be a mystery how it got to be circling the Earth. What's the importance of the moon? What's it, what's it do for us? Um, why should we care about the moon um, and, and care about what it does? Yeah. Would we miss the moon if it wasn't there? Right. Drew? Exactly. Yes. <laughs> well, they write a lot of songs about it. And there's, <laughs> there's romance to the moon. But the closer we look, even in a world that's uh, far from perfect, you can see how the moon has multiple purposes for our, our well-being. And you can go right down the list. Uh, of course, we have the tides, which keeps the oceans healthy, and we depend on that. And uh, the moon is so regular. You can tell time by it. You can tell the seasons. You can tell the direction. Uh, of course, you have moonlight, which is still important to a lot of people on, on the planet. And, you know, I'm sure there are dozens of things the moon does that we haven't even figured out yet. Uh, it just all works together. So the moon continues to be of interest. And by the way, uh, Drew, um, we also are finding out that the moon is slowly moving away from us just inches per year. But you run into trouble on evolutionary deep time because the moon can't, can't keep doing what it's doing now. So uh, that's an evidence for a, a recent uh, creation uh, that the moon has put in the sky. Mm. Um, I grew up in a household, as I mentioned, with a dad who was a science teacher. And, you know, I stay up late to watch movies. My dad would, would stay up late or get up in the middle of the night to see some event happening, um, whether it be the moon doing something unique or um, stars aligned a certain way. What are some of your um, favorite things to, and I'm sure you've done the same, what are some of your favorite things to stay up late for um, that you, you've seen as it relates to the moon? Well, I do enjoy um, uh, stargazing and uh, try to capture that interest with uh, students and my own family as well. And so, uh, yeah, I like the night sky. I like to be looking upward. Um, in fact, you know, always um, things improve after midnight because that's when you see more um, shooting stars or meteors, the way the earth is turning. So that's always fun. And even from Indiana, on occasion, uh, we see the aurora, the northern lights. Very unpredictable. You just have to be out there, and for 20 minutes, it'll show up, and it's gone. So there are things um, to watch for. And you have an observatory here right on campus that you've used uh, many times over the years? Well, you know, we've gone through stages of that. Uh, when we put up our initial science building, we put a pedestal on the, on the roof, which would be um, vibration-proof, and we made use of that. But in more recent years, uh, we have more portable telescopes that we can just haul out, whether it's uh, out at uh, the athletic area. 
we got to get away from the campus lights now because there's needed security lights and you can't see a lot here. So we uh, just kind of make the best of it and head for the countryside for stargazing. So instead of a real observatory, we just go the best place. That's awesome. Um, I uh, Have you ever taken your kids or grandkids on some of those adventures as well? Well, we've got uh, three daughters and now lots of grandkids, and I drag them out to <laughs> the night sky, and that gives them something to remember. And now they'll say, you know, hey, can we take a night hike? And uh, so, yeah, I, I'll do it for anybody who comes my way. Oh, all right. Well, your neighbors might be. I have a couple kids who might need a, let's do a night hike, so <clears throat> that would be a lot of fun. Um, let's shift a little bit to talk about your writing. So um, you've published numerous books, numerous articles. Uh, how did you get into what, what what was the first what was the, the the first book that you wrote and and who was the audience for that book um the first book was when i was my first couple years here at grace and i got close to uh, john whitcomb and um he just challenged uh me to uh work on the moon that we would co-author this topic he would do the theology side and i would do the science side and so um, he was a pusher, and uh, I needed that. And so that was our first project. We just call it the Moon Book. That's gone through several editions since that time. But, uh, yeah, that was a good uh, impetus for the whole thing. From there, um, I kind of uh, I, I like sound bites. So I don't like even long chapters in a book. I, I like the question-answer approach. So I accumulate ideas from class, my classes, and some t turn out to be good question-answer type things to discuss, and other ones aren't. But over the years, then, um, question-answer books on the weather and on dinosaurs and on geology, and on it goes, all these different areas of, of science. They are um, they're bite-sized and great for my kids and for me as well to be able to learn some of these concepts. Good. Um, uh, what's your most recent book? It would be the one on the, the weather, 100 Questions and Answers on the Weather. Uh, now, most recently, I've kind of changed my direction a little bit. Um, uh, as I've uh, had more free time from Grace, um, my family and I, we do a lot of hiking. We do backpacking. And so we're finishing a uh, backpacker's manual. It's kind of a devotional book, but along with it, lots of practical ideas on how to see our national parks and the outdoors. And uh, so I'm into a, a, a backpacking manual. Give us a, give us a couple um, previews. Uh, what are some of your either devotionals and, and tips for backpackers? That's always a thing I've thought maybe I've wanted to do. And, you know, I've done some camping, but like backpacking's you know, the next level. So what's, uh, what are some tips or tricks for campers? Yeah. Of course, Hikers. backpacking is not for everyone. It's, you know, sleeping on the ground and uh, you, you get to explore all the neat gear that there is available today. But as well, in, in this manual, uh, I like the hands-on, the practical ideas. So um, one I recently finished writing and thinking about is when you're out in the woods at night, you can do experiments. <clears throat> for instance, if you can get away from the campfire you have... <clears throat> You can look around, and it's kind of hard to see the dark woods. But if you close your eyes for about three minutes, your pupils will open up. 
And then if you open your eyes, you can see like the wildlife does, and suddenly you see a lot more in the woods. So you can kind of explore with your body to see what's available. So that kind of thing in the manual. Hmm. Uh, I take a lot of uh, just general hikes with my kids, and um, I always feel like I don't do a very good job of observing what is around me. So um, any tips or tricks for me next time I'm out on a hike with my kids in the woods? What what can I look for? What can I show them to make them think that I'm smart and know something about science? <laughs> you know, what I challenge people to do is to find some particular object or topic and become an expert in it, become a naturalist in that area. Uh, so whether it's going to be um, fossils or rocks or different kinds of birds or clouds. There's all these different areas. And then you become more aware looking for certain things. And uh, when you get back home, you can study it and become an expert in that area. Uh, I mean, birds is a good one. Wherever you go, you've got different varieties. And so it's just kind of a neat challenge to uh, become a naturalist in one particular area and run with it. Uh, and it kind of depends on, you know, what, what your kid's real interest is. And uh, God's given us different talents, interests, and uh, just encourage that kind of thing, a, a sp- become a specialty. I, uh, I'm laughing because I, my, my dad is a, an ornithologist, um, not, not by education, but, you know, some people go golfing on Saturday mornings. My dad goes birding, always has. Um, and I was always amazed we go out in the woods and and I wouldn't hear or see anything. And he'd be like, oh, did you hear that? That's a, and he'd, you know, name some bird or um, just from the whistle, right? Or uh, he'd yeah. see something in the trees that I would never notice. And um, it somehow it skipped a generation, but some of my kids are the same way because Papa's taught them. And so they'll recognize the birds out on our trips or out even in our yard and, and I won't. Mm-hmm. Um, so he has become kind of a, a naturalist and expert in birds, which has been fun. He's even done some trips here with Dr. Bosch just out in marshes and stuff to, mm-hmm. to do that. So I, I, I'll have to come up with my subject matter, but, uh, I don't think I'll ever compete with my dad when it comes to, to birds. You know, I had a student friend at Grace here who was really into, into birding and uh, we were out one night, and we went behind the science building, and he could call owls. And by golly, one showed up. He, he made the sound, and that thing came up against the side of the building and was looking around. And I thought, what a neat uh, gift that is, that he can talk to owls. Wow, that is really neat. Um, I want to get into your creation um, research and perspective a little bit. Uh, talk about your engagement. You mentioned the Institute for Creation Research, and I know you've been involved with the Answers in Genesis as well. Um, what has uh, what has your involvement with the creation research movement looked like? And then I want to get into a little bit of the uh, of the why behind that. But first, tell mm-hmm. us what's that looked like historically for you. Well, there are several major creation organizations in the country. You've, you've mentioned a couple of them. Actually, the one that I am closest to is um, CRS, the Creation Research Society, 
which is really the oldest group. Are you still the president or you've been? Yes, you, I am. Okay, uh, all right. All right. Uh, I, I hold that volunteer <laughs> position, and that's that's been a good one. And that CRS group, actually, the other ones have spun off from it. That's kind of why I like it. And uh, our group keeps a low profile. We just um, do research and uh, pass it on to other people. We do have a, a laboratory out in Arizona that we operate. So all these groups are kind of related, and there's plenty of work for everyone to do, and there's some overlap there. But uh, that's, yeah, I, I'm kind of connected with, with all those groups. Uh, why creation, um, you know, that is an, an an often criticized viewpoint in in the world of science. Uh, what is convincing to you that God is the creator? Why have you stuck to that viewpoint mm -hmm. throughout all the criticisms? Well, there certainly is criticism, and often, you know, the image of creation is, is not very positive, that it's, uh, you know, unscholarly and uh, just kind of stubborn, but it, it's not that way at all in reality. I guess, uh, Drew, it's coming out of my physics background, where I've, I've read all the books, and we have these neat laws, whether it's the law of gravity or F equals MA or whatever, and we discover these laws and, and we run with them, but the books are not very good at saying, why do we have these laws? Where do they come from? And that's just kind of a question that's not asked. So when you put it all together and say, you know, God established these laws and he also upholds them. Otherwise, the whole place would go chaos. So uh, uh, I see the, the the ground level, these these faithful laws. They even make you know eclipses possible that we can predict them ahead of time. So uh, that encourages my uh, my my faith in God to see that He's holding everything secure, even in a world that maybe turned its back on Him, but it's still still there. Uh, now, as far as my uh, my faith in Christianity, that's God's word. But um, science may become second, but it backs everything up. Where would you encourage people to um, start? If this is a, a question in somebody's mind, um, you know, is God truly the creator? Or you know, there's all different versions, right, of, of even creation itself um, in what someone might believe. Where, where would you encourage someone to, to start in their exploration of um, the why? Yeah, there are different ways. Um, one popular uh, direction today is called intelligent design. And uh, there are books and articles coming out in that field. And, uh, you know, what we are finding is that there are examples in nature of living things or non-living things that are so complex they could not possibly form on their own spontaneously, even if you had trillions of years. Mm. In fact, they would get worse. So I kind of like this idea of uh, this of design that's um, all around us. Now, Scripture even um, comments on this and says, if you miss all this evidence, there's no excuse. Right. I mean, it's there. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, of course, people get misled and turn their back on things, but... Uh, Design is a wonderful area to look at. Intelligent design. Is there a, a, a book you've written or a book you would recommend or a, a class or a, 
Bible study or something that, that people could find of yours or of something someone else's you would recommend? Funny you should ask about a book. <laughs> uh, a, a colleague and I have uh, have a book called Discovery of Design. And it's been a good one for us, and uh, we've accumulated some of these design ideas. And actually, we took a particular track in this book. There's a term today called biomimicry. Biology is living things, and then mimic is to copy. So this book is filled with um, examples of discoveries from nature that became the solutions to problems or came up with new products. A classic example is Velcro. Now, this guy in England did not invent Velcro. He discovered it in nature, a cockleburr that was sticking to his pant leg when he was hiking. And uh, this is really where um, engineers and scientists are looking these days at nature for new ideas and the solutions to problems. So in our Discovery of Design book, we have 100 examples like this. We also have a website where we're accumulating more of them. So it's kind of intelligent design on a practical level. In fact, I would suggest, Drew, that God placed countless ideas like this in nature for us to find and discover and make good use of. That's amazing. Um, I, I know you've even done work about math and, and uh, you know, God, God's use of math. And uh, you can find so many things in creation that I would never think of. Um, and I appreciate that you have not only brought those to the surface, but then you've also brought them to the masses um, so that people like me can discover and understand at least a little bit um, of what you've discovered yep. and understood and researched. Um, I want to turn the tables a little bit to talk about what you're doing now as uh, emeritus professor. Uh, you're still doing some teaching, um, which is great. You're still doing some research and some hiking, but you've, uh, you've also been leading some trips, which has been fun. Um, in fact, I think it was just a couple weeks ago, you did a video for homecoming on science projects that my family got to watch and other families got to watch to just see a, a, a little bit. Um, but you've also been doing some trips. Uh, tell me about what that's been like for you. Well, yes, I've tied in at Grace here with our alumni department. And uh, uh, as we put our, um, our interests together, uh, we do have a, 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 a raft trip to the Grand Canyon planned for next summer. Yes. It got canceled this year because of 2020, but we'll do it again. I've done uh, this rafting trip several times through Grand Canyon National Park. It's 200 miles on the Colorado River. It's wonderful. Now, uh, there are guides along who know what they're doing. We actually charter these trips, but then we teach along the way. So we're looking forward to that uh, next summer. Actually, before then, I'll also be out at the Grand Canyon hiking the canyon just with my family. Um, the southwest U.S. has so much uh, uh, neat area, although we also hike in southern Indiana, so there are things to do. So uh, I like to get outdoors uh, as much as I can. In uh, Kosciuszko County here, we do a lot of kayaking. We do a lot of um, fishing on the Tippy River or on the lakes up by North Webster. So I get out as much as I can. In fact, Drew, um, uh, this past year, uh, we were able to kayak every month of the year. Oh, really? Including in January, we had to find a channel in the ice. But that's one of our bucket list things to kayak all year yeah. long. <laughs> that is... Uh... Man, all year long, I, I didn't, that's true. We didn't have the, 
the as cold of winters as maybe we have sometimes. So you were able yeah. to get out even in January and February. That's great. Um, and especially during this COVID pandemic time, getting outside is more important than ever. And I know for myself, uh, getting outside has been a, a refreshment um, of just experiencing God's creation, sure. even though there's chaos all around us. Um, we can see order in creation and that can provide comfort and peace. Yep. Thank you for just sharing a little bit um, with us today. And man, we, we could uh, really dive deep into all these different areas and we just kind of hit the surface level at best. Um, if people wanted to reach you or to learn more about what you're working on or books that you've written, what are the best ways to find Dr. D. Young? <laughs> Well, Drew, I have several different publishers, but most of my books are available on Amazon. Uh, I also have them in my office here. Someone wanted to stop by and get a a signed copy, but they can can get – and my books are paperback. I try to keep the price down so that they can uh, get out there. On the Grace website, they could certainly find my email, and uh, I enjoy corresponding in this whole area of Bible and science. Not that I have all the answers. We all need to be challenged, but it's an exciting area. For me, it encourages Bible study and a study of nature. So, um, yeah, I like to correspond with uh, any, wh- whoever. And you still have an office here on campus, and uh, in fact, the new Science Center has the Dr. Don DeYoung Creation Cove. Um, so if folks want to see some artifacts that you've collected over the years from different places, you're, you're always kind of switching out new things in your cove. And you've had some recent new additions, I believe, um, from, from faraway places, right? Yes, we've, got, uh, we've received some wonderful fossil collections that we kind of put on display and use them in, in class as well. And uh, that's the top floor of the science building, kind of a little creation area. And it's become a popular place for students to um, rest or work or study. It's a, a good resource to have. If you're on campus, come check that out. It is a really yeah. neat place just to relax for a couple minutes, take a seat, check out some really neat fossils and and be once again awed by who God is as the creator. So thank you, Dr. DeYoung, for joining us for a few minutes today on the podcast. Thank you, Drew. And thank all, thanks to all of you for listening to the Grace Story podcast. Music was written and produced by Dr. Wally Brath, Assistant Professor of Worship Arts at Grace College. And thanks to our co-producers, Andrew Palladino and Rick Neer. And if you can do us a huge favor, as, as always, rate, comment, share this podcast wherever you retrieved it from. We would be so grateful. Until next time, live your best grace story today.